It's July the 10th, 2019. This is Five Wait, a show about Worcester. Worcester's libertarian voice. I am Mike Benedetti. This is Brendan Mellican. Hi, Brendan. How's it going? Brendan, it has been a weird uh, and violent couple of weeks in Worcester, and as usual, I feel like we have nothing to add to this conversation. So You're still uh, stuck awkwardly in a closet. As with what's that, his face said? Nothing to add. That of which we can say nothing, we must pass over in silence. All right. Uh, but, but Who said that? Um, some, some guy whose name will come back to me in about two seconds. <laughs> this week's guest is Laura Clancy, challenger for the Worcester School Committee. How are you doing, Laura? Good. How are you? Good. It's great to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. Uh, why are you running? Uh, well, first of all, I'm running because I have a daughter in the school system, and she will be a seventh grader at Forest Grove next year. And I have a two-year-old at home, so the parent perspective is something that's not on the school committee right now. So I think it's something that we need to get on the school committee. Um, I also have been working in the education field for over 15 years. My background is in education, so the you know the it was kind of an easy thing for me to do. I've always been involved in you know politics in Worcester, paid very close attention to everything that's going on. So now I believe it's my time to get involved and to try to make a difference. How have you been, how, what's your education background? So I have a, my bachelor's is in early childhood education from Worcester State. Mm -hmm. So when I graduated, I was teaching in a preschool for a little bit. And then I ended up going, um, actually a couple of years ago, I got my master's of arts in educational psychology um, from AIC out of Springfield. So, and then I've been working in the education field for with the Department of Youth Services for over 15 years. Tell me about the what, what you've been doing for them. Sure. So what I do is I am the education and career counselor. So it, essentially when the students come in to DYS custody, they're usually brought in due to criminal you know, charges that they've been picked up on. Okay. And I work with them in the capacity when they're in programming. I work with the school systems. Worcester is my biggest one, but I cover about 20 to 30 other school districts, Central oh. Mass location. Wow, okay. So when the students come in, I work with the district and I get all their records and I make sure that they stay on track in order for what they would do if they were, you know, had stayed in the community in school. So their classes match up, if they need MCAS testing, um, anything of that nature. So I keep them on track either, but they could be doing like their high set or their GED, um, or if they're doing anything post-secondary college courses or vocational training. So all of that. And then when they transition back to the community, I work with the school districts for a smooth transition. So I work with the families, um, mostly the, you know, the school administration to get the kids back in. And then along, they're with us either until they're 18, 19, or 21, depending on what their charges were. And then um, I work, you know, school discipline, attendance issues, anything of that nature, I work with the school administration on. Okay, so you so you're obviously very experienced with the question of school discipline. Yes, and it sounds like as well as you're at least somewhat familiar with dozens of local school districts. I am. Yes. Okay. Um, like, can we sk yeah. skip a question because it, it, yeah. it's, re it's relevant? Um, so, based on your experience with DYS mm -hmm. and uh, like layering that with the conversation we've been having in Worcester for the last couple mm -hmm. of years about suspension rates and, and whatnot. Is there anything that you could share based on your observation of other districts and how they do things in comparison to Worcester? Like, are we that different in the way we, we handle uh, discipline issues in school that might lead to DYS? I think years ago, I would definitely see a difference. I could say years ago, Worcester was black or white on issues. Mm -hmm. um, you have, you know, a joint in school, you're gone for the rest of the school year, um, you know, under their drug policy. 
and I used to see other school districts tend to work with kids. They would suspend them, but not for as long. Mm -hmm. But um, now I, I do see Worcester doing a better job on their length of suspensions. Mm -hmm. um, I think we are dealing with, you know, it's an urban school district compared to what I'm dealing with in Southbridge or Webster or the, you know, the smaller towns. Um, I think things are getting better. I think Worcester has a lot of alternative programs for students, and I think those are huge. Mm -hmm. um, I do think Worcester has to do a better job of documenting school suspensions. I will say that because I see school suspensions from, you know, seven different schools across the city, and they're not doing a good job of doc how they're documenting their school suspensions. What do you mean by documenting? So you have certain codes in, you know, for suspensions. I, I don't know if there's one through, t I don't know how many there actually are, but let's just say there's an assault. You, you know, it's, you know, an assault and battery or something. And then they have a narrative section mm -hmm. and schools, not all schools across the board do a very good job at the narrative section. Some schools have left it blank. Some schools do a very good job at it. I think we need to do a much better job at documenting that narrative section on what happened, what were the circumstances, you know, to make sure when we do have issues and people question why are there, you know, higher suspension rates for a certain group of students, other, you know, compared to other students, you know, if we don't have the documentation there, then, you know, it's going to come down to implicit bias or, you know, why are these kids being suspended? Mm -hmm. So we need okay. to do a much better job at that. Okay, because otherwise you're just looking at it and it's saying this student was suspended for a day and this student was suspended Absolutely. for five days. For five days. For the same code. Yep. What's the deal? And if nobody writes anything and down. I, the codes aren't going away. I yeah. mean, they're state codes that we have to, you know, follow so that they can track, dis sure. you know, suspension rates. Sure. So they're not going away. So what can we do? We can make sure that we're, you know, putting a policy in place that the, the narrative is, you know, pretty much straight across the board, that mm -hmm. everyone's documenting it the, the same way. So when some members of the school committee were claiming that the data that the school department was putting out relevant to discipline issues and whatnot, is that what you're, is that what you're saying? Well, that's where, yeah, that? I mean, that's where I'm coming, okay. yeah, that's yeah. where, I mean, because that was the topic of this year, and I, yeah. you know, do I, it is, could there be, you know, a bias, of, you know, absolutely, there mm -hmm. could be, but will we ever be able to get to the root of the issue? If we really can't say without tracking, without yeah. tracking it, yeah. we're never going to be able to get to the root of the issue. Mm -hmm. we, we've had a similar problem. I mean, we talked about this years ago, Mike, with the police department, too, where it was it was just something as simple as the Department of Justice on the federal level had changed the way they coded right. uh, certain crimes that were almost entirely uh, either the, they spanned from like rape to sexual assault. And there were, so there was a period where in Worcester, it looked like there almost were no sex, we had this huge dip right. in sexual assaults. And it wasn't that. Uh, crime rates improved. It was that the Department of Justice had updated their coding and we didn't follow suit on a local level. So when those stats get up to the point where they're actually dissected, uh, the data pool wasn't actually uh, relevant to anything. Really. Right. It was, if you asked internally at the police department, it might mean something there, but there was no way to really compare us to like Springfield or, right. or Hartford or, or whatnot. I don't understand why that's such a challenge for, for Worcester to realize how important that is outside of our borders, though. You know what, though? I mean, I can understand. Like, like you said, like you have to have a coding system and it's not going away. Like you can't have a, you can't have a system that's like a perfect, you know, the map is not the territory to quote some other philosopher. <laughs> and so you can't have some yeah. perfect thing. So, so there, right, you have to sort of have some approximations and you have to have some judgment calls, which makes, makes sense to me why like that narrative part's important. Yeah. And like the Department right. of Justice is not going to track anything related to, you know, the narrative. That probably is something that's more useful whenever you're like, okay, 
is this a problem at this school with this vice principal system-wide? You can sit down and read those and try to get a sense of right. what's going on, but that year, most years you're never going to. Yeah, and I'm right. not going to put Lauren's spot when it go on a tangent about the police department. The point is just that you can't have any conversation unless you agree on your terms, right? And, and I feel like that's something that we've stumbled on a couple times here in the city in that uh, we might be having one conversation while the state or the federal, uh, on the federal level, it's a completely different conversation being uh, taking place because they changed the terms. And it's, it is kind of on us to, to, to make sure that we're keeping pace with that so that all of the reporting we're doing is relevant and we can look at wider swaths of the population to be able to make comparisons to see how we're actually doing. I also agree that I also think that it comes down to a training issue too because you do have you know people coming in and out as administration in the school system especially this time of year mm -hmm. even for me when school gets back in I have to do I have to do some research and find out okay who's still VP over at Doherty who's over at Nor you know so I think and then it comes down to making sure that we're doing thorough training every year on how people are documenting school discipline all right mm. um, so let me just, I just want to make sure we're asking all the candidates the same questions. Okay. So the sort of the follow-up to why you're running has been, how have you been active in public life in Worcester up until now? Yes. Um, and it's, you know, certainly like career-wise and like parenthood-wise, you know, it sounds like you've been doing a lot. Is there any other public stuff that you want to... Well, I mean, I also, I've run, I've well, I ran because I'm done now that my daughter's out of Nelson Place. I was the PTO president for four or five years, I think I said five years. Um... So, and, you know, for the last five years up at Nelson Place. And I know I, sometimes people like the stigma of PTO, but I think what, what people... Wait, what is the stigma of PTO? Well, like, that movie, what was it? Um, Bad Moms. I always yeah. refer to that movie, <laughs> Bad Moms, because it's, you know, and it's nothing like that, believe me. Sometimes I wish it was. But, you know, I think what people don't realize is what I dealt with with some of the issues as PTO president mm -hmm. you, would be mind-boggling to people. I dealt with yeah. bus stop issues. I dealt with, and I was at a bus stop meeting with parents in the afternoon figuring out what was going on. It was a dangerous situation because we had kindergartners crossing Holden Street. Mm -hmm. So I had to make, you know, and I had to go down, meet with, you know, try to meet with transportation, then, you know, talk to school committee members on we needed to fix this. And we luckily we got it fixed. But P like the PTO president is a person that, you know, parents wrote, they don't get anywhere else, they're coming to you. Mm -hmm. So it, it held a lot of weight. Um, so, you know, and it was important to get parents involved in the schools. And that's a huge deal for me is to make sure that we have schools where parents are comfortable going to the administration, going into the schools. And if they have issues that they feel that they're being heard. Because even for me, I mean, when my daughter was in kindergarten, I was nervous to go to my first PTO meeting. Mm -hmm. And I'm coming, you know, I'm educated in the school system. I, you know, I, I work in the field. And for me, it was nerve wracking. I can't imagine a parent who, first of all, can't, you know, understand the language, doesn't speak English. It's their second language. And, you know, trying to get into the school system, it can be very complicated. Right. So you need that ombudsman to be there. To yeah, advocate. absolutely. It's totally the case, too. I mean, I, I did the same thing when my son was at West Atnick, uh, joined the site council uh, for the school. And people would be shocked at the number of school-related issues that actually come through. Absolutely. Um, just layers of bureaucracy like that that are, are really just made up of the parents who are willing to donate some time. I mean, totally an aside, but I always thought it was hilarious. Like, my father was superintendent of schools for Northboro and Southboro for a number of years. While he was superintendent of schools of that district, he acted as the PTO president mm -hmm. for uh, West Atnick Elementary School, where my sister was going at the time. And it was 
even the principal up there at the time like couldn't really figure out why he wanted to do that but as an administrator in the district he actually realized how important that was absolutely the number of decisions that are being made at the school level that never even make their way up to the school committee or the administration they blow people's minds it's just like the way we talk about boards and commissions often like it's the vacancies on something as simple as the cable commission actually has meaningful uh, impact on the city down the road and most people just ignore that stuff Laura, you were going to say something? No, I, I mean, I was just going to say that. Um, actually, I lost my train of thought. But it Sorry, is. It is no, but, it, being, <laughs> but being too. a school committee member, that's a huge deal. We need to have somebody on there. And I'm not saying that everyone, they do a terrible job at it. Some do a phenomenal job of it. But we need to be able to make sure that there's somebody on there that parents can go to that if with their concerns because it is a complicated system. And even, you know, I've been working with Worcester Public Schools for over 15 years. And sometimes I can understand how somebody who doesn't understand the system, doesn't understand how things work, just throws their hands up and say, I, it's enough, yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. done. And I, by the time the students that I work with, by the time the parents, because my, my students are a little bit older, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, high school level, um, even older than that, I mean, the parents are, it's, you know, they're done. I want to ask the next question. Worcester is owed in excess of $100 million due to the state underfunding our school system previously. What would you like to see us do to uh, get this money back or to uh, make this situation right? I think the most important thing that we have to do is you know, work with our legislation to make sure that the Promises Act goes through. Um, you know, I hate to say it, but sometimes the only way things get done is through lawsuits. Mm. It, that's how it was in 93. And if if that's something that we need to do to make sure that we're getting the funding that we deserve, do I think we'll get back that $100 million? No. But I think that we need to make sure that what we're, you know, from now or going forward that we are getting the money that we are owed um, in Worcester because it is desperately needed. If you, if you were in favor of the lawsuit route, would you uh, be more in favor of Worcester doing that alone or trying to partner with No, I would try to partner. Yeah. I would definitely try to partner with other communities, and I know that they've talked about that, mm-hmm. and I know that you know, there's been some discussion on it, but and, and I, you know, this is what I hate to see, that this is what it comes down to. Mm-hmm. In order to get what we're, that we deserve, we have to do a lawsuit. I mean, but yeah. if, like I said, it ha- it, yeah, that's what worked, you know. Such as life. 15 years ago, or 20, no, actually, 20, 93, I don't know how many, whatever, you know, you know, 15 years ago it worked. So if that's what we need to do, unfortunately, it might be, you know, it might be something that we have to do. What's important for people to know about the academic outcomes of our schools and for people to know about discipline in our schools? Um, well, academically, I think that people need to, what's important for them is that are we producing students who are ready for post-secondary? Are they ready for you know, careers, are they ready to go into college? Um, you know, I, obviously a lot of people weight the MCAS very heavily. How are your scores? And I think that, you know, we see that all the time. You know, are you underperforming? Are you performing? Where are you? How are your, you know, for me as a parent, that was never, and I can't believe I'm going to say this, but I never put pressure on my daughter for the MCAS test. Okay. Everyone's like, make sure they have a good breakfast. Make sure, you know, and I was always like, nope, regular day for us because I'm not putting that stress on you. I don't want you to fail that this test is the end all be all for you. And she's always done great on the test, yep. but I've never put that pressure on her. Um, it's a regular day in our life, you know, in our life. The only thing she asks for is gum. I give her gum because <laughs> she can chew gum that day of the test. So that's all we do. Um, but, you know, and I think it's important that people, I mean, our graduation rates, I think Worcester does a very good job at graduation rates. I think that what people need to understand is that Worcester has a lot of good programming um, I work a lot with the alternative schools and some of the 
you know, the alternatives to your traditional classroom, I think they do a great job at. I would love to see more vocational Chapter 74 funding go to our alternative schools mm -hmm. and to our regular high schools. Um, I know there's, you know, there's many talk about Worcester, Worcester um, Tech. I will always call it Worcester Vote. <laughs> always. My husband graduated from there. It will always be Worcester Vote to me. Um, I think that, you know, a lot of kids, the kids especially that I work with that would benefit from Worcester Tech won't ever get into Worcester Tech. Mm. So I want to try to make sure that we're getting, you know, funding for those services at the um, either the comprehensive high schools or mainly I would love to get them more at the voca at the alternative schools. The Gerald Creamer Center, the Worcester Alternative School, that's one of my big things is to try to get funding for them. Yeah, it, it is crazy when you, th you mentioned your husband, so I'm going to guess if he was the old tech and the similar in age, and it's, uh, it's funny how that program, I think, oftentimes is viewed as almost our alternative program. Uh, oh, years ago it was. In the 90s, uh, anyways, when I was uh, coming through the public school system. And now it's probably needed more than ever but it's treated as the exact opposite. It's almost like an exam school or something Absolutely. to get into. And, and it's, it just seems it's so obvious that something in the middle where you're just treating people like human beings, like not, not a punishment to go there and, and actually offer a skill set is just seems so obvious to me. And whether or not you're going to college, those yeah. soft skills that, you, that you're going to obtain from going to a vocational program are, you know, things that you need just in, you know, in general in life. Um, but, you know, my, like I said, my husband who, I mean, I went to, I did go to St. Peter Marion, but then I went to Worcester State, and I have a master's degree, and I'm mm -hmm. going to tell you right now, he's a union carpenter. He makes more money than I do. Yeah. And, you know, people, for years I think people, you know, put the perspective that you need to go to college, you need to go to college. We need to change that. Mm -hmm. We need to start talking that if college is not for you, great, you know, but let's look at something that you can do in the trades, you know, post-secondary, um, something that will work for you. Mm -hmm. And whether you know now or not, whatever you're doing, vocationally or any training that you do get will benefit you yeah you know whether you know whatever you decide to do 30 because that's when most of us figure out what we really want to do and you know for the rest of our lives you know when you reach that age you know you can you'll have the, at least the skills to help you oh totally i mean just look at the three of us mike went to caltech he went to worcester state i never finished college and yep. we're all still, still sitting in the same closet together Absolutely. so we are <laughs> we are you know it doesn't matter where you started from well, we should mention that we're you know, there's a script that we're supposed to say what we're doing. I don't I don't know what it says. We're in, we're, in, we're we're WCCA again this week. It's occurring to me like watching the video as I'm as I'm trying to edit, trying to run the camera here. Like I feel like we're all we're all sitting at like weird positions. These chairs are terrible. These no, chairs are so you know, terrible. If everybody looks weird in this, it's not because people are uh, tired or have some kind of medical problem or are bored. It's because these chairs are terrible. Anyway, um, we'll do the next one standing. We probably should. Uh, Laura, what do you think about sex education? Oh. <laughs> I don't want to well, keep Well, no, wait, wait. I mean, yeah. I, 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 obviously, I do think it's an incredibly important subject. And for me, I'm going to be honest, when I figured out that we really didn't have a sex ed program, I was like, just weird. What? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, I honestly thought it was something that we, we had. Because um, I know my daughter has health, and they do mm -hmm. get into, you know, some components of it. So do I think the, I'm going to be honest, I thought the way that it was rolled out on in, on everyone's was the was not good. Um, it just wasn't rolled out in a way that we all could have probably worked together and come up with a good curriculum. I do think that we need a comprehensive sex ed curriculum. Working with the students that I work with, I know that they don't, we think that they know and they but they're learning everything from the internet yeah that's where you're getting your information so we need to make sure that the information that they're getting from the internet um is accurate and that they're 
they're taught safety and they're taught, you know, you know, pregnancy and everything. There's no, I mean, we all know that, you know, the STI rate in the Worcester Public Schools is high, very high. Talk to these teachers and, and the, you know, the clinicians in the schools and they're like, you have no idea, like, the things that these kids just don't realize. Um, mm -hmm. what they need to do for prevention and everything is mind-boggling. So we definitely need to be there. Um, I think we all need, well, I think it's important that we listen to what the state frameworks come down at and what they want because, you know, so then we can kind of build off that. But we need to find one that works for Worcester. Whether it's, you know, I mean, I was always, I'm not opposed to, I've always said, couldn't we develop our own curriculum that mm -hmm. works for Worcester? But then, you know, then you take away, is it, it's not evidence-based, it's not, you know, so... But I'm not sure, I've seen some good ones. I'm not sure, you know, I think we all need to work together, listen to the community, listen to parents, because there were some things that I saw in one of the curriculum that was, you know, expected to be rolled out that I was questioning for my own daughter. Hmm. Um, but that was because I just went on the internet and started Googling what is in this curriculum. And when I, some of the information, then, because that's how I got the information. Hmm. I, you know, um, so, yeah, we need it, and we need to find one that works for our, you know, the students in Worcester, all the students in Worcester, the 25,000-plus students. I mean, they were talking about a junior high curriculum. Um, I think there are some things that could be taught starting in kindergarten. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and, you know, absolutely. So we'll see how it all rolls out, and I hope that I get to be part of that, whether I'm on the school committee or not. As a parent, um, I would love to be involved in the decisions that are being made. Okay, now we're recording again. Wittgenstein, Brendan. That's who it was. That's the name of the. That's the name of the. It was more than two minutes, but I thought I'd give it up. <laughs> um, Laura, th we yes. kind of covered some of this question previously, but I'll ask you this question because mm -hmm. I like to ask everybody the same questions. Uh, what's your experience with education policy, and what in your life has helped you understand how your decisions would affect our twenty-five thousand students? So I have been involved um, just with what I do for my job in developing some different policies for the Department of Youth Services okay. and when it comes to education. Post you know, just like high set pol you know, policies on like how they do their high set, um, policies on post-secondary, policies on different curriculum. Um, so I have had some experience on that. I mean, obviously with the Worcester Public Schools, I would, you know, it would be a much larger policy scale, but mm -hmm. I would like, you know, I'm definitely one of those that's very open-minded in listening to everyone's perspective and doing what would be best for the 25,000 plus students that we have. Not only them, but we also have over 4,000 employees mm -hmm. that we have to think about. Um, so, I mean, that's where I stand on policies. I mean, I would do what was best for not, you know, obviously even being a parent, but also being having that working with the inner city youth. You know, I'd have to do what was best for the, you know, majority of our students. Yeah. And that's very important to me. Yeah. Um, I mean, like I said, I don't know anything about education policy. Just something, something, something that I read about. Something that I read about studies is I'm trying to make sense of it. You know, is these studies, is is these issues where you sort of have to make those hard choices? Like whenever you're trying to figure out, should we be suspending every? You know, should we be getting disruptive kids out of the class ASAP because it's going to be so much more helpful to the other, the other students, or should we be trying to keep those kids in the class because it's going to be so bad for those? disruptive kids to, to be expelled, suspended, whatever you want to say? No, I do, this is where I stand on that. I do believe that if, you know, there are some situations where I think students do benefit from the alternative schools. 
I, I don't like the idea of out-of-school suspensions. I know that it does happen, but I would like to utilize it a little differently. Um, so, like, I, we were, I, you know, maybe looking at, look, you know, using the, you know, kids who get suspended for marijuana uses, let's just say, maybe looking at using, for example, the recovery school as a, you know, place they can go to to get educated on drug use or something. Instead of out-of-school suspending them, put another program in place that would work, that mm -hmm. could help them. Um, so that's, you know, one of my thoughts. I mean, I also think there are there are a need for the alternative schools. Some kids do do better in a very small school setting, um, you know, and there's credit recovery programs. But I also like the idea of full inclusion programs, you know, keeping the kids. That's why I'm sending my daughter to a public school. I could send her to St. Peter Marion, but I want her in a school system what that looks like the global majority. Yeah. I want mm -hmm. her, um, I, I do feel that my high school... I was sheltered. I went to St. Peter Marion. Mm -hmm. And when I got out there, instead of working with, you know, the students in Worcester, I was like, God, I think I missed out on a lot of things. Mm -hmm. I missed out on different cultures. I, and I don't, and I want my daughter to experience, my children to experience that. Um, so I do think that, you know what, whether we change the dialogue on what, how the teachers are teaching to the students, maybe it's not your traditional classroom, you know, the desk lined up, or maybe there's groups of, at the table you know, maybe there are things that we can come up with. And I do think that the, you know, the newer teachers that are going through educate, because even when I went through my bachelor's degree, I knew that, you know, the traditional classroom wasn't really working anymore. Mm -hmm. So I think that as we see teachers changing, I think that we'll see a lot, you know, you know, deal with things differently on how we're teaching our students. Okay. Doherty was kind of off the chain in the mid 90s. So I don't know, your parents might have made the right decision sending you to uh well, it was funny. <laughs> what my youngest, my youngest daughter, my youngest sister ended up going to Burnco, mm -hmm. and so you know, so she ended up graduating from there. But I do remember Doherty and the many friends there. So yeah, it was you know it, the funny thing too that you know, so your daughter goes to Nelson Place. My son just left Forest Grove, and his experience there, especially seventh grade, which is like the worst year of school right. for every human being on the planet, but. Um, his experience there w wasn't so positive, and it was mostly Nelson Place kids. We blame you folks. It was, really? Well, it's funny. So, the, he came from West Hatnick, which is one of the smallest yes. schools yep. in the door in that quadrant. Um, and because they're cluster based at Forest Grove, which they weren't yes. when I went there, it was like you, the class that you start with, the students that are around you when you start the day, the two you end the day with, and you're with them for two years right. straight, and the same teachers. Like you just move through. You don't even see the other floor of the of a two-story huh. building while you're there, okay. if everything works the way it's supposed to. Because Nelson Place and Fort uh, Flag Street are so large, uh, student body-wise, he was basically thrown into a cluster that he was only one other, I think one other kid from uh, West Hatnick in okay. that cluster. So it was just a weird thing where he spent, you know, six years, uh, including kindergarten, you know, making friends right. and whatnot, and then was thrown into a, a classroom where everybody else knew each other and, and had known each it, other yeah. uh, for that same time oh, frame. Yeah. But now you're starting from scratch. Right. It was a really weird thing. And that wasn't my experience at in middle school at all. I mean, it's one of those things I can't wrap my head around only because I think as an adult, you never hear an adult say, oh, I miss middle school, right? Like, right. nobody peaked in middle school. Like, it's <laughs> That's the, true. It's pretty much the worst thing ever uh, for, for every young person. Mm -hmm. And I remember the one uh, thing that was kind of nice about Forest Grove when I went there, it's a pretty big school, is everybody was kind of starting on the same right. page for, like, meeting new people. You might have, a, every class had, like, a couple acquaintances or whatnot, but you're really kind of building friendships together, mm -hmm. um, which doesn't seem to be possible for some of the smaller schools uh, in that system. I'm not actually blaming you for my son's terrible seventh grade year, but uh, it, his take on high school 
was actually, he chose to go to, I, I don't want him to, and I don't know how I'm going to pay for it, but he chose to go to a private school. Um, and I, I think, in some level, uh, that's what his drive was. Almost like absolutely. knowing that everybody there was going to be starting from scratch right. with this building yeah, their own absolutely. network and whatnot. Yeah, and, it's, and And I think that we, you know, as parents, we, I mean, you know, I think we do whatever, you know, because my daughter is dying to go to Forest Grove. She mm-hmm. cannot wait. I think he had a great she, year in eighth grade. Once he did make friends with yeah. everybody. I mean, it's still a really cool school, but it's uh, yeah, yeah. And there's going to be new administration there. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how that changes things if anything does change. But um, yeah, she's very excited about it, and you know, and I I want all children to feel that way in West Public Schools, and they should feel that way about going into Worcester Public Schools. Yeah, any school. Um, and sometimes that's not the case. So we need to really change that dialogue and we need to make sure that we have people that work with our students to make sure that they're comfortable. Yeah, no, and it's, it is a funny thing when you think about it too, because I, you, you know, you're obviously correct when you talk about the importance of uh, preparing students for whatever comes after right. their uh, time in the public schools. But at the same time, and I think this is one of the things that as, an, as adults, even as parents sometimes, we're not always great about is remembering that, uh, being a kid kind of stinks sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like, I don't think we ever really go back to say like, okay, this is the curriculum we built to make sure that our students are successful, or this is the testing framework we're going to use to ensure students are successful, and then double back to the actual young people involved in whatever adults created and, right. say, and try and gauge how uh, engaged they are or how much, if they're even enjoying being there on some basic level. Like, that's an afterthought. I don't know. I feel like as adults, we're, we're so used to the idea that it's just miserable. It's you know, I have to say, go sit in an yeah. office all day. It's like we're. <laughs> I definitely thought. I definitely, when I was in school, thought that like a lot of it was uh, intentionally engineered to just like break you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. To just be like this is like part of the labor of this place. Right. And in retrospect, I'm like, it was that nobody intentionally set it up to be frustrating like that. It was just sort of like, oh, whatever. Mm-hmm. We're not going to worry about that piece. But yeah. No, I grew I, I know I've mentioned this to other candidates as well, too. Like, I grew up at an elementary school uh, in the pre-Ritalin days for ADHD. Yep. Mm-hmm. So but we, what we had was the PEAK program. Yes. Um, and it was, you know, those of us that, like, yeah. were not going to be successful at sitting still for eight hours, but, like, had other interests. Like, you know, we they pulled us out of the school. And, like, one day we could be working on a play. Or, like, one Wasn't day we'd Wasn't that be, for the super intelligent kids? I, well, I, they never really framed it to us that way. I, I always thought that it was, that it was that other, the PEAK program. I mean, it was, it was an arts program for... Um, that was back when the Lottery Arts Council existed. So when the lottery first started, uh, all the money from the lottery is supposed to be going to fund funding arts education and okay. uh, um, cultural development in the Commonwealth. And that slowly got chipped away and whatnot. And that was that was the uh, the, the money that, that came into the public schools was for the PEAK program. And I, I guess that. you might be able to make, you, but you could probably make the same argument uh, today with kids that we quickly diagnose with ADHD and stick them on drugs. Right. You know, if we if we viewed things in a slightly different perspective, those might be the hyperintelligent kids. It's, I think that's what Joanna Lucas is trying to tell everybody right now. And right? I think that's and I think that what I think is very important too when you talk about like the kids on ADHD and everything, and that I think you know a huge a huge thing of what I do on a daily living a day, daily basis with my job is I work with the special education mm-hmm. department. Um, you know, making sure that kids that have IEPs or 504 plans that, you know, the, that the accommodations that the school system are giving them work for the kid. Mm-hmm. They're not just this blanket, you know, accommodations or anything. Yeah. So that's another huge, you know, I've worked very closely with the special education department over my years. So, you know, I advocating for the kids, sorry. No, 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 that's fine. I thought you were done. I, I just, I can't even imagine if I was in public school today. Mm-hmm. 
knowing what I remember, which isn't much, remember about my time in public school uh, 25, 30 years ago, but then knowing what I know about the district or any system now right. as a parent, I, I can only envision that my time would have been spent like in, uh, you know, re-education in Clockwork Orange. That's like, my, I just, my eyes would have been propped over and strapped to a chair and that's the only way they would have been able to get me to, to learn basic addition and subtraction. And you feel like that would have overall been less good than the alternative? I think that would be less good than the alternative, yeah. Okay. But no, we did have those programs where, and again, I guess it comes full circle in a way too, you know, what something like sex ed i think on some level everybody's willing to look at that and say okay we need to be there needs to be some whether it's an opt-out system or adjustments made to the curriculum it needs to fit everybody's right. needs um and the needs of the community on some level again looking at uh student expectations and just the level of satisfaction with what is being delivered to them i think we also kind of need to do the same thing in a weird way right it's like we, we can't just assume that there's a one-size-fits-all approach to delivering an ed program to a student and standard standardized testing i think has made that a necessity uh, while uh, somehow unfortunately uh, ignoring that there might be smaller pockets of students who have learned differently well then but every, every uh, my theory is that every student has to be looked at that way that yeah. every student has to be looked at as the individual learner i will say that the, what we do in my department we do an amazing job at mm -hmm. it and we really but we also have very small classrooms yeah so we're able to do that um, but I do agree. I think that we need to, you know, do a much better job at that and making sure that we're looking at each individual student and seeing what works, what mm -hmm. works for them. I also think if we started to do that and we started to change the way that the classrooms look, I think we may be like dealing with less discipline issues as well. Um, but what, what, what do you mean by the way the classrooms look? Well, you know, your traditional classroom where you go into the high schools. I mean, if, you know, the teacher is, you know, teaching in a different way using, you know, different ways to, you know, to teach the individual students, I think that you wouldn't see as much um, discipline issues that you do. Mm, okay. You know, maybe changing up the classroom or, you know, like I, for example, one of my students had refused to take medication, ADHD. Mm -hmm. So I said to him, okay, how would you feel? Go to the back of the classroom. What would you, you know, if you felt comfortable doing this and you pumped out five push-ups, mm -hmm. what? And it worked for him. Yeah. Something like that, and you know, another thing that you know, with public schools, I, you know, I hear my daughter come home and she's like, "Oh, we had a si we have silent lunches," and I'm like, "What? What's a silent lunch?" Mm -hmm. That I'm like, "Why would you have a silent lunch? This is, is your that, time." Is that a, is that a to punishment? To a silent lunch? No, it's it's what they did because they only have you know these 20 minute breaks or whatever for lunch so that they okay. have to make sure that they're eating in this time frame but yet yeah. they can't socialize and what what <laughs> of course I'm going to socialize during the classroom because my friend's sitting right next to me and yeah. I didn't get a chance to talk to you at lunch those are very important things recess very important things I mean what would we do if we added five minutes to the day you know for the kids to have recess would it change the classroom yeah. would it change the some of the things that are going on in the classroom I think it would and I think those are some things that we have to look at we did a lot of push-ups when I was in school. Mm. Just, at least in PE. A lot of driving, right driving give me 10, driving give me 20. I mean, Mike, you used, the, I think, the right language earlier talking about uh, disruptive students and, and whatnot. And that's I, another kind of why I was sticking on the the, co the way we code things and whatnot. Because, like, what does that mean, being disruptive? Like, you say that to, to someone, I'm sure they have something in their head about a student, you know, like... I mean, there's a whole... The right. There's a kid who's yelling and then there's a kid who's punching the teacher right. or whatever. So, like, I, I know, like, myself and my, my son, same thing. Again, it was like... Sitting still is not like a strong suit mm -hmm. and whatnot. Like I was always a big leg tapper and, and what have you. I remember the first time my son came home from school. I'm really sorry if you're watching this and you know, I'm telling stories about you and whatnot over. Um, but you know, I remember the first time he came from home from school upset because he, someone kicked the back of his chair. And it was like this light bulb moment as a parent. I'm like, were you tapping your leg? Like not, you were kicking there. It was, and it was 
without even realizing it, he was actually uh, doing something yeah, yeah. that was being disruptive uh, okay. to the student behind him, and that that was the reaction. Was the student was basically just stop, like please stop, and it was, um, yeah. I mean, but from a teacher, an educator's perspective, similar to lunch, you've got X amount of time to cover X amount of material, and it, it's on you to to accomplish that. Something as simple as a kid who can't sit still—that's disruptive, right? Mm -hmm. Like that—that that is throwing off the flow of the entire uh, school and uh, the entire classroom. But you can't you can't start tranquilizing right. students. Right, not every, right. every right. No, no, but there are still. <laughs> there's a lot of accommodations that you can make. Simply, you know, do you need a stress ball? Do you yeah. need you know what I mean? And there's these little things, and I do think that you know the te teachers. I hate to say younger teachers, but teachers who, like I was, you know, educated in this system not, not too long ago, but I think that we realize that those things, if you mm -hmm. do that, you make a tiny little change in your classroom, it can change the whole environment of your room. Oh, totally. And I, I think your daughter will have her because my son just finished with her after two years at Forest Grove, but Miss Carroll at uh, okay. Forest Grove, science teacher, she got that on so many different mm -hmm. levels where, like, she would bring in... She, all of her chairs have uh, like the exercise bands oh, yes, in the bottom. Yeah, yeah, so like yeah. kids who do like the, that's how my son learned not to be bouncing his leg constantly and fidgeting. He, they just tuck their legs into those bands and they just kind of move them in a really small area and whatnot. But kids fidget. And right. So she would bring in exercise balls or like big yoga balls to sit on yes. as opposed to regular chairs. And the kid that's bouncing in their chair and like making a fifty-year-old piece of furniture creaky and whatnot, they don't even notice it. It's it is little things that. Well, and that was one of the benefits of Nelson Place. We had this brand new school building, and mm -hmm. you should you should see the amazing furniture that they have in there. They have like um, I don't almost like an egg egg chairs for students, you know, for some of the students who have sensory issues, just those lip, but we were, you know, they were very lucky to get that in yep. the school because, but that's what I mean. That's where school funding comes from. Like it, I, I, my, I had a sister who had children in the Western school system. Every school at there, every student had a bouncy ball, mm -hmm. or one of the medicine balls at their desk or not the medicine ball, but the yoga balls yep. to sit at. Are you kidding me? And you know what I mean? Like little things like that. So, the, you know, how important is it that we get these foundation budgets up so that we can be able to provide these things in our school? I have a friend right now who has, um, she has a, a, she works at Chandler Elementary. She has a, a GoFund, not a GoFundMe page, but, you know, a page for, to donate so that she can provide those types of things yeah. in her, in her children's classroom. And she's a, she's a Worcester Public School teacher at Chandler Elementary. I think I said Magnet, but she's at Chandler Elementary. Yeah. So she has a donation page going right now mm -hmm. to try to get the money, the funding, to try to, you know, provide different seating for her students. Weston doesn't need medicine, but they can buy their own. No. <laughs> you know, but I, I mean, but that's what, yeah. that's what you talk about, like the funding and the issues. Like, mm -hmm. hello, I mean, you know, I mean, like you said, all they can supply their own, but we're the, we're the district that needs Actually things like needs that. Actually needs resources, yeah. You know, Brendan, it's uh, it's interesting to hear you talk about like uh, you know an outstanding teacher in the public Worcester public schools. I realize now now that this is whatever our fourth or fifth school committee interview ever on this show that there's two questions we should be asking people mm -hmm. all along, and one of them one of them honestly, for my benefit, maybe even more important, asking about the wire. I kind of want just want to ask people like justify public education, like <laughs> like are, like convince me that we should even have public schools. So. Mike's not a parent. Mike's and then the other, you know, I just, I just like to take, I like I said, I'm just trying to get my intellectual curiosity locked into this issue. So I feel like I have to like go down a level. And then the, the other question is to say, ask somebody like favorite teacher or teacher who had the most positive impact. I'm surprised that doesn't actually come up more from candidates. Well, and, and, yeah, and I'm, I'm surprised it isn't either because it's actually, it's one of, one of the things that I, I try to be for my students is that, that one person in your mm -hmm. life 
that who can you look back on and I I mean I'm not saying that I am that for the students that I work with but I try to be mm -hmm. like that person that makes that impact in your life and you ask you know a hundred people I will bet you 80% of them and 80 of them give you a teacher's name yeah yeah a teacher's name and that's very important I mean I I, I had one teacher who and I think because in high school he taught me like life skills, yep. like how to balance your checkbook, how, those things which I think are incredibly important the, to bring that all back to the, to the high school. Um, how to balance a checkbook, you know, what happens with loans and all of this. But, um, you know, and he it was a teacher that, and he was at St. Peter Mary, but he was a teacher at uh, Mr. Pace. And he, you know, he, I think that he made a huge impact in my life. Oh, totally. I mean, I, you know a lot of my, my good friends that I met in kindergarten, and we were all animals. I mean, we were truly a, a class of insane people. And, um, I mean, right from kindergarten, Ms. Gamar, Ms. Gamar who was my, my kindergarten teacher, she had such a strong personality, but also an understanding that, like, we weren't actually all terrible human right. beings. We just were super amped up kids that had way more energy. And she made sure we got all that out. Like, Nap time in kindergarten was something that actually needed to happen because she allowed us to, uh, you know, wipe ourselves out. And then in the afternoon, it was that's when the learning actually started. Sixth grade, booking that experience. Uh, uh, what the name's escaping me right now? Uh, Gary Hagenbush. He built an entire curriculum for us uh, around uh, Shell Silverstein um, mm -hmm. our, in our sixth grade year, and it was like every aspect of learning uh, involved Shell Silverstein, right. and which is. Again, as an adult, is like I love this just story. knowing that there's a, there it's was so another funny. I had adult a out there. And DYS do that. It was incredible. And I mean, in Shell Silverstein, is um, most of my friends can still recite most of where the sidewalk ends, where the sidewalk ends from from memory because it was, it right. was so ingrained in us. But it was such an important important part of, of that year. But even in high school, like you said like life skills, like. I had a teacher, Frank Corey, was a history teacher. He knew right out of the bat that myself and one of my close friends in, in that class, we were not interested in accomplishing anything from an education perspective, but he treated us as adults. Uh, so like his expectations of us weren't necessarily academic. They were not allowing us to act like idiots constantly. Right. And the way that he rewarded us for that was actually almost bringing him into his universe. So like. He would tell, he would know when it was just going to be a bad day and basically whisper to us, okay, if you walk down to the hot dog truck mm -hmm. at Newton Square and pick me up hot dogs for lunch, um, you know, whatever, you can just leave. I'm not going to say anything. And yeah, of course we're going to do that. We didn't want to be there, but it allowed him to actually teach and via bribing uh, with, with hot dogs also ensured that while we were doing something that if we got caught doing it, we were going to get in trouble for and there was no way we could rat him out. It ensured that we weren't going to take full advantage of the, the, the kind of uh, uh, long leash that he was putting right. us on. It made us actually act more responsible uh, than I think a lot of the students who sat still for like they were supposed to for an entire period uh, were forced to, to act. It was, it was great stuff. Yeah, I mean, we do have a lot of great teachers in the Worcester Public <laughs> Oh, we have, we have, that, and that's and that's what I was I was saying earlier. I think we need to also change the 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 talking that we do about Worcester Public Schools. We have a lot of amazing programs, mm -hmm. and you look at the career pathways programs that are being implemented um, across the city. Uh, you know, just the and like I will go back to the alternative schools. Some of the things that they do at these alternative schools to help these kids graduate are it's mm -hmm. pretty impressive. Yeah, the tools that they use, the you know the computer based programs that they're using. It's you know I you know. I think they do a great job at it. Yeah. But nobody talks about it. Mike, who's your most influential teacher? Oh, I mean, my, I mean, this is not an interesting story. Like, uh, you know, uh, when I was in high school and I was trying to figure out where I wanted to go to college, and I was definitely on the college track, um, 
it was like my own process. Like I was not talking to teachers, my parents, other students. I was doing my research. I was figuring out. Yep. I had my plan. And then the week came when it was time to talk to the guidance counselor about this. And he was like, no, like, no, I was in West Virginia where I was going to school. And I didn't want to go to any West Virginia colleges. But he was like, no, you only are going to apply to in-state schools. And that guidance counselor, I don't know how he did it. He really beat me down on this <laughs> argument. And I was like, fine, I concede. I guess I'm only applying to West Virginia schools. And, uh, you know, then the next week I was talking to uh, Mrs. Och, who was a great teacher in many other ways, but just this specific conversation was so crucial in my life, I think. And she was like, "Where? so you're gonna put in these applications? I was like, yeah, I guess I can only apply to in-state schools. And she's like, what are you talking about? And I relate this whole thing with the guidance counselor. And she's like, where do you want to apply to? And I was like, well, this is my plan. She's like, you should just do this. This is a great plan. Just do this. Don't listen to this guy's an idiot. And uh, yeah, I just I did my plan. I got into all the schools I wanted to go to. I ended up going to school in California. I don't know how long it would have taken me to get out of West Virginia. Right. If you're and West Virginia is a beautiful place that I love, but it's also definitely a place that like if you don't figure out how to get out of it, you're gonna. F a lot of people then choose to go back there, but if they don't figure that out, there's a certain sense of feeling right. trapped there. Mm -hmm. If you haven't figured out how to escape the trap, then you're like, I'm happy in this in this place. I don't know how long it would have taken me if I had not, if college had not pulled me out of that place. Right. And, and if Mrs. Och had not, like, again, like, I just had a weird respect for people with ties and offices. And so when this guidance counselor was like, nope, nope, you're not going to California. I was like, all right, I guess you have, you have to, I don't even <laughs> That's, know the I, I, My licensure is in guidance. <laughs> do, you, do, you, do you tell kids to go to school? Only go to Worcester State. State. Only, only Worcester State. Only Worcester State. Yeah, that's true. you never go. Yep, stay right here. Worcester has a no lot of options. Worcester does have a lot of options. Uh, so I want to change the topic very briefly um, to commodities news. Brent crude oil is sixty-six dollars a barrel, up half a percent on the week and down eighteen percent on the year. Bitcoin is thirteen thousand dollars, up ten percent on the week and up one hundred and five percent on the year. Oh, I have a friend. Right I have a friend that got into Bitcoin and oh, she yeah. swears by it. And I'm like, how's it going? She's like, not too good. I'm like, okay. <laughs> this week, this week has got to be going. Great, oh, good. Though. Maybe she can. Maybe yeah. she can buy that coffee next I week. I mean, it's, then. it's doubled compared to last summer. Like, any, I mean, it's getting, it's getting up there. I don't know, Brian, I mean, I feel like we have. This is another thing that I feel like we can contribute nothing to the conversation about commodities. But I like to acknowledge this stuff. Uh, Laura, how much can you bench? I can bench. Um, once, probably, I would say like 95 to 110. Okay. I work out though. Yeah. One, I mean, this is this is like one rep max. One, yeah, lifetime. I would, you know, because when I knew that question was coming, so I had to think about it and I was like adding up like the bar and, oh, the, you I would, know, I and I'm you like. I were going to say, so I went to the gym and I was like, well, I'm You know what, I always, but I, but I got your questions <laughs> late last night. Oh, that's right. So that's I too. wasn't able All to right. do that. But uh, I would, yeah, I would say like. 110, probably one, yeah. Paper lifetime max, you can make it up. No one's gonna check. Um, oh, no, yeah. we are. I, uh, no, wait, 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 no, I'm gonna go wait, 290 wait, then. No. I'm gonna go 290, because I know someone gave you 285. You never, don't, no, don't listen to Brendan. You cannot lie about this. This is a bad No, I would definitely say one, 110 is All probably, right. as of right now, my max. I mean, I have, I have arm wrestled candidates in the past, so like, this is what I'm saying, is don't mess with me about this. <laughs> bench pressing stuff because we'll, we'll bring the bench in here this is not that small of a room uh, it's a very small room we can fit a bench in here we, we had a short the bar we have to do some sort of shortened bar we could do it yeah. i would do it okay you could do it don't test me brendan um and you haven't seen the wire i haven't seen the wire I, you know, if i had time to watch tv 
I, you know, I would be, I probably maybe would watch it, but I, I honestly, I, you don't need at to night watch I'm usually like, I you read don't need to watch a lot. So I, I don't. I don't I watch would, a lot of TV. I'm in bed by nine thirty most nights. I have a really good friend who just started watching The Wire uh, last month. Uh, he's on season two now, and um, the nicest thing about it is just the, the the confirmation of all the the thoughts that we've shared about The Wire over the years. It's like mm-hmm. I, like I feel like a lot of people have a hard time getting in, getting through season two because so much of the story changes until it wraps up and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Just hearing that all over again, so yeah, I was right all along. Yeah, it's nice. Yeah, it does. I mean, I feel like a lot of people learn things about the way cities work or whatever from the wire. But it is it a really like cool series. It sounds like your sounds like your experience, especially. It would probably confirm some opinions that you have of things, but I don't know that it would make you feel like, oh yes, now I see public education so differently. I don't. This seems unlikely. The show each season kind of focuses on a different institution in the city of Baltimore. Right? Okay. And so there is an entire season that deals just with public education, but in the relationship between uh, public education, law enforcement, the media, politics, uh, and the the war on drugs. That, right. Uh, the, the show was actually wrapped up around. It's good stuff. Hmm. I'd definitely have to check it out. Yeah. Well, Brendan, do you have any more questions? I don't think so. All right. Well, Laura, stuffy in here. Laura Clancy, thanks for being on the thank show. Thank you for and having me. We are me. running out of oxygen. But, uh, thank you. Yeah. Good luck in the election. Thank you. And uh, everybody at home, we'll talk to you next week.